If you've uh, been with us since probably about February, uh, you know that we're in the book of Ephesians, um, Paul's letter to uh, the church in Ephesus. And uh, as I said a number of times, we're, we, we, we've, gotten, we've gotten there, we've gotten halfway. So the, the book of Ephesians is uh, it's broken up into two parts, basically. Uh, the first three chapters, um, where Paul explains what theologically has happened in um, the event of Jesus Christ coming, uh, dying, and being raised, what that means and what it has accomplished how it's unveiled the mysteries of the universe, how it's unfolded and revealed the divine plan of God that had been held in God's heart and now is, is poured out so that um, special people who see it, people like Paul, it's been given to them by the Spirit to understand, to recognize. And he's been sharing for three uh, chapters what has happened. And now uh, we're about to, to enter into chapters four through six where Paul says, since that's happened... This is how we're going to live. And so the, the title of our series, Ephesians, made new. That's the first uh, three chapters. To live new. And that's what we're about to embark upon. And what, what's going to happen today is we're, we're in the center point. Like we're right in the middle. And Paul is going to explicitly uh, refer to what's just happened to motivate us for what is about to take place. He's going to Look back in just one phrase, and he's going to call us to a new way of life. And so in order, I think, to feel the pull of what Paul is doing, it's helpful, I think, to look back and see what he's already done, to tell the big story again, so that we can feel it, so we can recognize it. To sum it up, today's message is called Why We Fight. That's actually the title of a, a song, an orchestral piece um, composed by Hans Zimmer, who uh, makes m- m- uh, m- uh, music for movies, right, soundtracks. This is actually from um, a war movie uh, from the early 2000s called Black Hawk Down. In Black Hawk Down, it's a retelling of the um, tragic events in Mogadishu when um, American soldiers in the 90s uh, were... Um, inserted into an environment where they did not have proper support and they were ambushed um, and, uh, yeah, a bunch of bad stuff happened um, and there's a movie about it. And in the, in the build-up to these terrible events, um, the main character is, is sitting there and he's contemplating. He's, he's brand new to the fight. He's just joining the unit. He's going to be leading a squad and into a combat zone. And he's, he's upset because he sees the way that some of the guys are talking about the people um, that they're supposedly there to protect and defend. Uh, there's these people who are starving, and the, the explicit mission of, of the United States Combat Unit is to protect and defend people as food is being given to them. And so he's, he's upset because the way that um, these people who are starving are being talked about, uh, is, it's really offensive and it's not very uh, sensitive to their plight. And he's like, he's like, guys, don't you know why we fight? And there's this theme, it really begins the theme of the entire film. It's a question that rests at the center of everything that these combat, uh, these men and uh, these soldiers have to, to um, understand. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why do we fight? And the movie actually has a number of different answers to that question. And it's left up to us to decide why we fight. And Paul's going to tell us today why he fights. 
And we're going to have to ask ourselves why we fight. But to get there, let's, um, let's review. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let, let, let's get back uh, 30,000 feet. Let's look at what we've done. Ephesians 1 to 3. Let's, let's kind of get the lay of the land and let's, let's kind of generate, if we, if we can, sort of a sense. If we could sum up Ephesians 1 to 3 in just like one line, if we could just get one, one quick way to sum up everything that's gone before, what would it look like? Well, let, let's take a look. Let's take a look at a number of different things that we've actually just been doing over the last several months. And the first is, what are the circumstances of Paul's letter? Well, this is Considered one of the prison letters. Paul's um, very likely in Rome. He uh, references a number of times in this letter to the fact that he's in chains. And we're going to see that in our text today. He's in chains. He's in Rome and he's really awaiting execution. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened to Paul, although church tradition tells us that he was martyred for the faith. And it's very likely that this is maybe the last letter he wrote, uh, at least the, uh, of, of the ones that we know about for sure. This might be the very last letter that he wrote. This is his last hurrah, his last way to, um, to talk to the Ephesians. If we follow his story in Acts, we know that what happened with Paul is he actually ended up in Ephesus sort of, um, you know, by mistake. And he ended up staying there for three years, developing this incredible church. His church is so successful, uh, the gospel goes out in Ephesus, which is um, a center of the worship of the goddess um, Artemis slash Diana, depending on how you, you name her. Um, it, it, it's a, a center of that worship. And as new, more and more Christians come to faith, they, they step out of worship of, of the goddess. And as a result, there's major upheaval in, in the city. In fact, uh, they, the, the people um, who make idols and make uh, worship objects for these uh, foreign Greek gods realize that Paul is the instigator, the, the reason that they're losing business, and they're very, very upset. And so they start a riot. Uh, you can see it. It's in uh, Acts, I think, chapter 17. They start a riot, and, uh, and, it's, and Paul's like, he's itching to get in there. He wants to go right into um, the, uh, the, the amphitheater and make his case before all the people of Ephesus. Um, but the, the Christians know that he's just going to get torn apart, and so they, they, they forbid him, they pull him out, and they send him out of the city. Paul never returns. The closest he gets is, a, is um, on a boat on his way to Jerusalem. Um, and he, he meets the elders of the church in this town called Miletus, which is south of Ephesus. He has them trek out, and then he gives them this farewell speech. And he says... I don't know what's going to happen, but the Spirit has revealed to me that it's chains and tribulation. At the end of uh, chapter Acts, uh, at the end of Acts 19, when he's giving this this speech, um, it says uh, that that the elders are so sad to see him go because they know they're never going to see him again. He's going to go die, and so now, some years later, he's waiting to die, and he sends the letter to the Ephesians. Well, let's look at the theology, though. Okay, so those are the circumstances. Not great. Not great by human standards, by life standards. I mean, this is not the kind of thing you want to be doing. You don't want to be sending uh, your last farewell as you're waiting to, um, to, to, be, to be executed. Uh, but in spite of that, you'd, you'd be shocked to notice it because as you're reading the theology of Ephesians 1 to 3, it's, it's vibrant. It's alive. These aren't the words of someone who's sitting on death row. Uh, these are the words of somebody whose face and life has been bathed in glory. And let's review. One of the first things we talked about, the first several weeks, we talked about the big truth. Paul starts out with this incredible prayer. It's this epic, long Greek sentence. It's absolutely indecipherable. We spent weeks and weeks picking out different uh, parts of the grammar to, to get an understanding of it. But it's this big, massive, cosmic truth. It's the big plan of God. And right at the center of it, right at the center of it is us. The people at Ephesus, the people at Coast Bible Church. 
And we can sum it up. We, we looked at it in three ways. The first is, the first thing that, that Paul communicates is that the Father, God, has chosen us in Jesus the King. It's not an accident that you're here today, friends. It wasn't an accident that the Ephesians found themselves in the church. It was all part of a divine plan. Now we in the church some 2,000 years later, we, we agonize over questions of things like predestination. And if you're curious about what this church thinks, you can go back um, on, on the website and hear the message on, on this, this topic. But really the interesting thing is that's not what Paul's concerned about. What Paul wants the people to recognize is that despite the fact that they're in a hostile environment, despite the fact that they're being fired at from all sides, they're special, that God has a plan for them, that they were chosen amongst all the people in the world. This small little group in Ephesus had been called out from the beginning of the ages, before the creation of the world. The Lord God had looked out, peered out into the future and said, you and you and you, you're mine. And you're going to participate in my mission. But Paul doesn't stop there. You're not just special because you're chosen. You're special because you've been delivered. The Father has delivered us from bondage through Jesus the King. The bondage of sin and slavery. And as we found out, the powers that live in the sky realms that we think of as demons. These, these forces, these spiritual forces that impose their will and oppress people that corrupt hearts as we choose sin and have that reinforced by the culture that we live in that enslaves us and rules us and destines us for death, eternal death. But we've been rescued. We talked about the image that we have in our own culture of, of, um, of the hostage negotiator. I mentioned Denzel going into the bank where the spiritual forces of sin and death have us locked up. And, he, and Denzel or Jesus says, no, they go free, you take me instead. You, people of Ephesus, you, my friends at Coast Bible Church, you have been delivered from sin and death by the sacrifice of Jesus, the King. We found out later that the spiritual forces are pretty mad about this. They liked the way the old world was when we were held in bondage. And they're very upset. And the people in Ephesus are feeling it. They're feeling the pressure. Paul is feeling it as he waits on death row. But it's not just that. The Father doesn't just deliver us. He also secures us for the promised land by the Spirit of Jesus the King. The promised land, just as the people of Israel were uh, liberated from bondage uh, in, in the stories of Exodus from Egypt into the promised land, so we too, so the people of Ephesus too, are delivered and now are secured for the promised land, a heavenly land, a new heavens and a new earth that's coming, that's sure. And because they know that, they know that they have complete security because they have the spirit, the spirit we talked about. It's like, it's like the branding on one of my Grandpa Joe's cows. And those cows, they may not like that branding. They sure don't like getting it. But no cow can get it off. Those are Joe's cows, and nobody's going to mess with them. In the same way, we are Jesus' people, and nobody's going to mess with us. We're going to be carried to the new heavens and the new earth, just as our beloved brother Bob Topitzer was this past week. Our future is secured. Well, that's the big truth. That's the, the big context. And it is. It's interesting. It's good news for us, right? I mean, this is awesome. This is awesome. Uh, but it, it leaves a question about what's going on in the world. Um, 
you know, I'm not sure if it's, uh, if it's universal, but I know that in the 21st century church, we tend to focus a lot on ourselves, on our feelings and our concerns and our, de- our desires. And that's not a bad thing um, in and of itself because God is concerned about our feelings and desires and needs. And God does address those. That's why he chooses us because we are special. It's why he delivers us because he has a mission for us. It's why he secures us because he wants us to know that he's going to carry us home. But if you look at it from a different perspective, you recognize that if that's our story, there's a converse to that story. There's another side of that coin. And that's the world's story. Everything that Paul says about the church and about us has implications for what we think about the world beyond the church. The world outside these doors. And we talked a little bit about that uh, in, in, in the theology of, of Ephesians 1 uh, to 3. Um, I, I have up here the case of the martial titles. I want us to get a sense for what is this story of the world that, that's the flip side of our story, the big truth. What is the story that's going on out there? Well, I call them the martial titles. I, it, it, this is worth doing. Let's, let's look just for a second at some of the different um, sermons we've had, just the titles of the sermons. This is interesting. And, and, and get, a, get, a, get a feeling for the language behind them. Now, the first one I, I picked out was the fog of war. If you guys remember, we had some pictures of Saving Private Ryan, uh, the beach at Omaha. Um, and, and it was interesting, Paul uh, in that text was really concerned with the fact that it looked like the Ephesians were so concerned about the battles they were fighting, um, the, 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 the frustrations they had in the culture, that they were unable to see the big truth. And Paul was like, you've got to get past the fog of war, you've got to get above that. And if you see the big truth, if you see what's really going on, you'll be able to have perspective, be able to be encouraged. You'll see that we're going to win, that God's blessing us. But did you notice all the language I just used there? Battles, war. We had a sermon, The Walking Dead. We talk, Paul talks about what life is like without Christ. It's as if you're a zombie. You have a cheap imitation of real life, eternal life. And you're out. And you're hungry. And you're looking to violate and destroy the people who have real life. When, when, before we come to Christ, our life isn't fit for the ages to come. There's a heavenly kingdom that's coming, but we're not ready for it. In fact, people without the eternal life of God um, would fit in no way in the ages to come because they don't have what God has. They, don't, they have a simulacrum, a cheap imitation. Their desires are base. They cannot look up. And they're not fit for the ages to come. And so they're hostile to it. They're out to destroy it. There's an us versus them dynamic to that. We here, Church of Ephesus, Coast Bible Church, we are in the midst of the walking dead and they're not friendly to us. And you hear it again. The language of combat. The language of strife. Like this one, the Melting Pot Temple Mission. This was just a couple weeks ago. The Melting Pot Temple Mission. The key word there is mission. You see, God has created this church. He, you know, he chose us and delivered us and secured us. And then what he's done with this church is he's put us on this mission. He's saying, you've got something you've got to do. You're here to build up a temple of worship to me in the middle, right smack dab in the middle of this hostile culture. 
And your place, your place, your mission, what you're called to do is put these demonic forces, these, these powers in the sky realms, put them on notice that their grip is loosening, that they're, they're not going to maintain their control of the universe. Their days are numbered. And the way you're going to do that is you experience my life now and you worship me rightly and you welcome new people in. You expand. And as you do that, more and more, the powers that be are going to get angry because they're going to be afraid because they see that the end is at hand. That's your mission. And even those first three, chosen, delivered, secured, I was thinking about what that sounded like, and um, my dad used to make me watch this movie called The Guns of Navarone. I think it's from the 60s. It's supposed to be a, a movie about World War II. And then, I, if I'm, I may be misremembering this, but I think at the end of the movie, it's, this is about World War II, which took place in the 40s, um, like a helicopter comes in to, uh, to get Clint Eastwood out of... Is that the right movie? Totally wrong movie. Okay, whatever. <laughs> There's some movie like that. The point I was thinking about, though, is I was thinking about these words and this language. And doesn't it sound like, doesn't it sound like, you know, the Dirty Dozen or something, where, like, there's this small group of, of elite combat forces, and they're inserted behind enemy lines, and they're on fire from, uh, from all sides, but they've got to rescue this one guy and sabotage the guns and get out. Doesn't that what, isn't that what it sounds like? This is war. In Ephesians. I haven't told you yet, but it's true. The book of Ephesians is a book about war. It's about a cosmic war. It's about the big war. A war against the powers and their minions. The agents of sin and death. The ones who have a grip, a firm grip on the world. Into this environment, Christ sent us, called us the church we're not there yet, but when we get to Ephesians 6, I mean 6, 11 through 20, put on the full armor of God. And then Paul outlines the weapons and defenses of an elite combat unit. Well, if this is a war, then who are we? Well, it's really cool. I mean, because for me, I'm the, I'm the one, I'm the kid who's like super scared of like actual combat and violence. I appreciate the fact that there are um, men here in this congregation who have served. And, but I like the idea of being courageous enough, so I like to play games on my video game systems about Marine Recon. You know, the 101st Airborne. Those types of, of things, they, they appeal to me because they, they, they picture what it might be like to have the kind of courage to be what? To be the vanguard. The church is the vanguard in this cosmic war. A vanguard is a small unit that goes ahead. They're the first in, often the last to leave. They're, they establish a beachhead, a staging point. They're in the middle of the hottest conflict, the hottest combat, and they create a safe space for other people to come in. That's how Paul imagines the Ephesians. They're like an invasion force from God, initiated by the grace of Jesus Christ, who come in and set up a colony a colony of the kingdom. And if you were to sum it all up, Ephesians 1 to 3, the way that God has chosen, delivered, and secured us, you would say that the Ephesian church and Coast Bible Church is the spearhead of God's invasion of Ephesus and South Orange County. 
We have been tasked with an essential mission to break up the powers, to put them on notice that their grip is done, that they cannot survive, and to welcome in new people who will live with us as we worship God the way he was meant to be worshipped. And now, Paul wants us to prepare for the nuts and bolts of the fight. The day-to-day operations. What it's going to take so that we can make it. So that we can survive. That we can fulfill the mission. So that we are able to do what God has called us to do. And live it out. And be faithful. And get all the way to the point where he either returns or we die and await for our resurrection. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, I, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. I've put a period in brackets there. You know, uh, if you look in your New King James, it's a comma. I think maybe even a better way to do it, the way to think about it, would be to have a colon there. As if there's this hinge where Paul has said, we're at war, you are the vanguard, And now I want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. This is what it's going to look like. Uh, That phrase, uh, prisoner of the Lord, um, it's it's Paul's little reminder in chapter 4, verse 1. He's saying, you know what's going on with me, guys? I'm waiting to die. I was on this secret mission. I was one of this elite group. And I got captured and I'm not going to make it out of this jail. In the theology of Ephesians 1 to 3, we're the vanguard, and Paul is the first casualty of the war. I have a friend, um, I I don't know uh, how often we get to do this, but um, I I know a number of people have. I've been um, with enough of of our congregation as they've been on their deathbed. But it's so interesting. It's so interesting when when, uh, faithful saints are on their deathbed. It's so crazy. They never, ever, ever talk about, you know, themselves. This is the weirdest thing. It's weird for me because I'm a self-focused guy, but I remember when uh, Dale Hickey was uh, getting ready to go just a few days before he passed, I was sitting there talking with him, and the only thing he was interested in was making sure this church was ready to thrive. He kept asking me questions about what we were doing and where we were going. He was like, this is so exciting. Uh, Any of, of the faithful saints who've passed, it's a similar story. When you get there, you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the future the future you're not going to get to see or be a part of. You're passing on the baton. And Paul says, you know the situation. It's cosmic war. You know my situation. I'm a martyr. And so Ephesians and so Coast Bible Church walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So Josh Harnett is in this movie um, and he's, uh, I think he's uh, a sergeant. Sergeant Eversman, I think. And uh, he's getting ready to go outside the wire and he's thinking about why we fight. 
And for him, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. He, he's not like his fellows. His fellows have a bunch of different reasons for why they're in uh, the service, in combat, uh, why they're about to do what they're about to do. And, and it's, every, it's very simple stuff. Um, and I just, it's worth thinking. Why are we doing this? Why are we fighting? And, and we're very similar, I think, in, in a lot of ways. So why we fight? Um, the first reason that people fight, the first people re- reason people stay in is fear of punishment. Um, this is why slaves fought in the ancient world. Uh, they, they fought because if they didn't, then someone would lash them until they did. Uh, there's, uh, I believe, in the Battle of Stalingrad or Leningrad, whatever it was called, uh, St. Petersburg, whatever it became uh, in World War II, there weren't enough guns. And so um, the Russian soldiers, as they were attacking the Germans, were given no weapon. And they were told, as you go, wait for the guy in front of you to die and then pick up his gun and use it. So, naturally, not many of these guys wanted to do this. They were like, mm, no, maybe I'll, maybe I'll sit this one out, boss. And then uh, what happened? They were executed. And then, so the other guy saw that and said, well, between that and this, I'll take this. And they went. Uh, I, I think there's an analogy in the church um, there are some people who fight for fear of punishment. They're afraid that if they don't, then they might lose uh, their salvation or they might, uh, God might not let them into heaven if they don't stay the course and stay engaged and, and, and fulfill God's mission. And if they don't, they'll somehow be excommunicated or, or left behind or whatever. And so they're not able to achieve heaven in some way. No. That is not why we fight. God is not a slave driver who's saying, go, attack, and if you don't, I'm going to put you down. That's exactly why we talked about secured by the Spirit for the promised land. You're branded. You're going to go to heaven once you've believed. That's, an end. That's the end of it. But then that brings up a legitimate question. If I've got the end figured out, why should I be in this fight? There's another reason, uh, and they talk about it uh, in... Um, in um, that movie, in, in Black Hawk Down, one of the, one of the guys says, uh, well, I'm here because I needed a job. And I thought I was <laughs> going to be like a tech or something, like you know, fixing wheels. But nope, turns out they gave me a gun and said, you got to go fight. Bad news. But, but I know that if I, if I do this, if I do this really well, then um, I'll get promoted, I'll get more money. Um, it, it'll be a good life for me. I'll have uh, health care and insurance and maybe a pension at the end of it. And so that's why I'm fighting. It's my job. And I know that if I do my job well, I'll get rewarded. This is actually a a Christian way of thinking about things. Um, And we've talked about it a lot at our church over the years. That when we fight, um, you can look at 1 Corinthians. um, Paul has a section where he talks about how if you last in the fight, God doesn't forget you. And when you come into the kingdom, you are given rewards. God doesn't ignore the fact that you're making sacrifices. God rewards you well for it. That's a good thing. It's not bad to go out and fight for that. That is a legitimate reason to, to, to sign up and, and, and last in God's mission for the church. Sergeant Eversman um, runs into a member uh, in this movie of, um, I think it's either like SEAL Team 6 or he's, he's this really great, you know, warrior. And at the end of the movie, um, Eversman's, you know, shell-shocked from, from violence, and, and he's confused, and this guy says, the reason I go back is for the man next to me. 
I fight for the man by my side. This is very uh, common in American war movies, modern American war movies, because in modern American war movies, we no longer believe in the mission, or at least the people making the movies don't. And so they, they, uh, they replace the mission with common humanity. And so you pick up and you fight for the one next to you. I feel this in the church. One of the reasons I battle for the church is because I think about my kids. I don't want them to be cast out into the culture. I don't want them to be surrounded and co-opted by hostile powers and their minions. And so I fight as hard as I can because I want them to grow up in this place to be convicted and won over by the scriptures, by grace, by the family that holds them up. I want to keep the integrity of this place because I know that I'm not going to last forever and I don't want them to fail when I'm gone. That's a good thing too. One of the guys that Everisman talks to is a patriot. And he fights for his homeland, for America. He's out there in the middle, I believe, in northern Africa. But he's doing it because he believes in the flag. He believes in what this country stands for. In defensive wars, like in World War II, it's because we will not stand for others to come in and destroy us. This, too, has... It's an analog in the church. We just had um, a, a group of, of, of men and women who, who looked over our constitution to defend us, our constitution, our church constitution, our 501c3, our, our ordering papers, as it were, and to protect us from those outside the church who would seek to oppress or change what we're about. They went to war because they believe in this place, and they believe that it, it has to last, it has to be protected from those who would subvert it or change it or, or mis, uh, change the mission or not allow us to worship the way that we uh, are convicted that we must worship. They're defending the homeland. And that is a good thing, too. There's one last reason why people fight. And it's the most powerful of all. It's the reason that some dude will get into a truck and run over 84 Frenchmen. It's the reason that a man will pick up a weapon and fight to set other men free. Some people fight for an idea. They're willing to endure any hardship, go to any length. They will never stumble and they will never fall because their heart has been captured by that which they cannot deny. Which of those motivates Paul? Paul is literally dying for the kingdom of God. And as he thinks about it, he's asking the Ephesians and Coast Bible Church to live for it. To fall so in love with this story about who God is and what God has done. To be so captured by the grace 
that God had to, to become like us, to live as us, to die in an awful way for us, to release us and liberate us from the oppression of sin and power, of the sin and death and the rule of powers. Paul is so enamored of that. It is so totally captured, his vision and everything that he stands for, that he is willing to go to Rome. He is willing to stand before Caesar. He is willing to have Caesar condemn him to death. And he is willing to die that death. And the whole time, he is so cheerful and so full of life that he calls the Ephesians to live for it. Live for this kingdom. This kingdom, it sets people free. It beckons us into true human life. It secures for us a glorious future inheritance. You remember that moment. When you were willing to die for something. And the next moment, where you remembered, and now I'm willing to live for it too. Friends, the stakes that Paul is living and dying for are as high as they can be. Our stakes in this cosmic war are as high as they can be. Whatever you have felt is the reason that you fight, the reason that you're here. Our goal, ultimately, is to be so in love with who God is that you're simply fighting for his glory, that you're still in it because you are so into his divine grace invasion. You are willing to be the vanguard, willing to take up your cross and live for the gospel of Jesus Christ. To live worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, th- this isn't just rhetoric. There's some reasons for this. I want to give a little, just a short preview of what's going to come up. So we've done Ephesians 1 to 3. We've seen that we are the vanguard, that we are in the fight for the long haul, and we've been called to sacrifice for an idea, for the kingdom of God, for the future, the, hu- the true human life that God calls us to live, the forgiveness and grace. Well, what does that mean for life in the Christian colony? You see, Ephesians is not, we're going to get in four to six, it's not an ethic um, that, that comes for just all uh, Christendom, okay? It used to be that we lived in a world where kind of everyone was a Christian, or at least called themselves that. Um, Christendom, you know, kind of Europe. It's like you go to church, you don't know if you believe it or not, but everyone's kind of a Christian, so let's do that. This is not what Ephesians is for. That is not the ethic that Paul is talking about. He is calling for people who are living in a hostile culture, as we do. South Orange County, post-Christian. We are a colony here, a vanguard, a recon unit, and we are surrounded on all sides by people who think that we're crazy. We are called to live in that kind of environment. This is the ethic he's, he's developing. I, I like to call this trench ethics. Um, the ethics of the trench. In World War I, um, there were trenches, right? And uh, if a guy died, you didn't just leave him there. Under normal circumstances, we honor uh, the fallen dead. But in the trenches of World War I, they would take his shoes, take his socks, because they didn't want to get trench foot. They took his ammunition because they were running low. They honestly did not respect the body as much as they probably should have because the ethic was different. The circumstances were different. In Ephesians, Paul is saying, we're in the middle of a combat zone, so the normal rules don't apply. We're going to change things up. And 
And as we think about the ethical commands of Ephesians, we're going to remember that. We're going to keep that in mind. That this is a, it's designed for a specific environment, a specific circumstance, one that we happen to share with the church of Ephesus. Last and most importantly, the ethics that we're going to see in Ephesians 4-6, to the new way to live life. It's not just life in a colony. It's not just the ethics of the trench. It is always, always in keeping with the revelation of God's gracious love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. What makes everything that we are about to read over the next three chapters make sense is that it is derived from a vision of God crucified. God who gives himself in love to save the world. Nothing we are about to read over the next couple months makes sense unless Jesus is crucified and raised again. Why do you fight? It's going to get harder, friends. South Orange County is not going to get more Christian before it gets more pagan. And we got a gut check. Are we in love with the call? Are we willing to walk worthy of the one who chose us and delivered us and has secured us? Because if so, I believe we'll last and I believe we'll thrive because the Spirit of God cannot be quenched. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the example of the Apostle Paul who followed in the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who died for your kingdom and asked us to live for it. I pray, Father, that you will stir up in our hearts a love of your call, a love of who you are, a love for your story, a love for your grace, a love for your calling so that we will be willing to cast all things aside and walk in a way that is worthy of it. God, at the end, may you be the reason why we fight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.